0: Hey gang, it's Jesse. I'm just chiming in here to remind you that we're in the midst of our Max Fun drive. Once a year, and only once a year, we come to you hat in hand to ask for your support. Fifty weeks out of the year, we pump content into your ear holes absolutely free. Two weeks out of the year, we ask for money. If you've got a credit card or a bank account or a PayPal account, donating is super easy. All you have to do is go to maximumfun.org/slash. Donate. Maximumfund.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's the Sound of Young America from Maximumfund.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the show, Jim Lara, has been uh, the host of PBS's NewsHour for some 30 years, as well as its executive editor. He's also the author of now 20 novels, the most recent of which is called Super. It's uh, set in the uh, early 1950s on the Super Chief, the legendary streamliner train uh, that ran through uh, America's Midwest and Southwest um, it's a sort of murder I've, I have can mm. sound am gonna say murder mystery but possibly a murder death mystery I don't want to ruin the book for anybody uh, it's a death it's an exciting c- crime or not crime tale. <laughs> Um, set <laughs> set deep in that world, Mr. Lair. Welcome to the Sound of Young hey, America. Hey, I'm
1: delighted to be here, Jesse. Thank you.
0: It's it's an honor to have you. Um, I was interested. Um, the, most of this uh, most of this book is um is set in the uh in the Kansas bit of the run of uh, this train. I know you're uh, originally from uh, Wichita. That's right. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, you were born in the, in the mid thirties. So the, um, the Wichita that you grew up in was the, uh, uh, the, the tail end and the immediate aftermath of the depression. Um, w- w- what was it like in, in Wichita when you were, you know, a, a, an adolescent? Say? Well,
1: World War II, that was the center of the country, Wichita, and it was the center of the, uh aircraft manufacturing business. The Boeing made the B-17 and the B-29s there, and the Beechcraft had a company, had a factory there. And we thought we were pretty much winning in the war. And uh, we woke up every morning thinking the, uh, the Germans or the Japanese were going to bomb us because we were so important. And, uh, but I grew up uh, in the best of every possible world you could have. I had, uh, I had parents who loved me and thought I was terrific. And everything I did they thought was terrific. I lived in a in a world where they had good schools, great public schools. Uh in those early years I, I uh I was inculcated in I maybe mean, I think DNA is supposed to come first. I was already born uh before it came before I got I I became a a wheel person. I mean where the moving of wheels meant uh the moving from place to place, uh, a magic uh, way to go would be on a train or on a bus, whatever. My dad worked for a bus when I was born, my dad worked for a bus company called Southern Kansas Stage Lines, which was then bought by the Santa Fe Railroad, it became the Santa Fe Trailways. And my dad used to say to me, Son, there is no more noble work than moving people from place to place for reasons that matter. Well, what what would that be? Going
0: away to school? Going to a funeral? Gone to uh, gone to war, something for, something that that comes up in the in the book is memories of uh, uh, of troop trains uh, during the war, absolutely. And what for me, uh,
1: growing up in those times, because we had, didn't have the mean, even though Dad worked for a bus company, we had passes. We could go on the buses, but we didn't own a car. And uh, but we, my dad, the Santa Fe Railroad, owned our owned our bus company. But and Dad had a pass to go on the Santa Fe Railroad, but he couldn't ride on any of the streamliners. He could only ride on the cheap chair cars, chair, chair car trains. So for us, seeing a uh, one of these silver streak streamliners like the Super Chief uh, go shump, you know, through the prairie, it was the place. I'm going to get on there someday.
0: That's the way out. Someday I'm going to go there. Did you grow up with the idea that you were going to uh that you were always going to
1: leave home? You know Jesse, I've thought about that a lot, and the answer the simple answer is yes. I knew that what I wanted to do, whatever that was going to be, I was going to have to go away and one time I wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to play shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, obviously, I was going to have to go to Barrow Beach and then to the Brooklyn, Brooklyn to do that. Were you
0: Were you good enough? No, I wanted to play no. third base for the San Francisco Giants, but it was not in the cards. Well, that's exactly because of that. I had the same problem. I wanted to be. I wanted
1: to play shortstop. I wanted to take Pee Wee Reese's place at shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And my co- I lived at this time. At this point, I was down. I lived in South Texas, Southeast Texas, a place called Beaumont. And um, the coach said to me, "You know, Jimmy." You might want to think of something else as a way to as a way to go, because you're not a good enough baseball player. But that's what actually turned me on to journalism, in a kind of strange way. Because I thought, hey, I you know I had met some of these sports writers who came to our games in Beaumont, and I thought, and I liked them for one thing. They had a kind of they had a kind of thing about them that that was mysterious and wonderful and uh, seedy and all that stuff. And um, I thought, well, wait a minute, I could do that. I'd go to games all the time. I'd write up little stories. And then I had the, the wonderful experience of having a teacher, an English teacher, um, who I wrote a paper about something, they called them themes then. And uh, she, it was a beautiful paper. It was about, um, uh, I'm speaking very modestly here, mm-hmm. uh, but it was about uh, Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. And the uh, teacher quite accurately gave me an A. But most importantly, she wrote up in the left-hand corner, Jesse. She said, Jimmy, you're a very good writer. Well, that, I told my mother, I went home from school, and I told my mother, I'm going to be a writer. She patted me on the head and said, that's great, son, go. So I went back to school the next day, found the the faculty advisor to uh, the newspaper and essentially said, here I am. And I've been doing it with the exception of three years I was in the Marine Corps. I've been either going going to school, to learn how to write and be a journalist, or uh, I've been doing it, and I'm still doing
0: it. Uh, I know that you. Um, uh, I know that you went to uh, junior college, got an associate's degree before right. you went to four year school. Right. Um, was uh, I, people who? People, my mom's a, a junior college professor. I, I find that often, um, often people who. Uh, go to JC, it's uh, because they're taking some unusual path. It's, it's rare for someone uh, to go to JC because they're, you know, just doing two years here and then two years there. And that was the plan all along. Um, what led you? What was, what was your path? Um, the,
1: uh, the reason I went to JC uh, to uh, my junior college uh, was because we couldn't afford to go to a f- to the University of Texas, and uh, I had to go to work. And uh, the junior college in Victoria, for forty dollars, I could go to school the whole year. Forty dollars, and I took this job working in a bus depot, worked eight hours a day at night, and uh, the the. Uh, but I also was editor of the newspaper, wrote and edited every story that was in the newspaper, wrote the editorials in addition to the news stories, and then took it to the, the local newspaper and they printed it, and then I came back to the campus and gave it, handed it out to all 320 of my fellow and sister <laughs> students. So anyhow, it was, a, it was a marvelous experience, but it never occurred to me uh, that I would not eventually go on to college and finish and get a degree and be uh, get a journalism degree and be a writer and be uh, Ernest Hemingway or... Ernie Pyle or one of those people, and uh, the uh, the the H. L. Menken, for instance, had this library about the size of uh, of uh, you know of two bedrooms at this little junior college, and there was a librarian there and said, "You you want to be a newspaper man, Is that right?" And I said, "Yes, ma'am." She said, "Well, there's there's a guy named H. L. You ever heard of H. L. Menken?" I said, "No, no." Well, look, there's a book down here. You ought to read this. This is. Uh, biography of him, and it was written by a guy named William Manchester. William Manchester went on to write many books, including Death of a President. He was the guy who wrote the book about the Kennedy assassination. And um, Anyhow, I read, the, I read the book, and I, this is what I wanted to be. And then I wanted to be H.L. Mencken. But if all these things just happened, and I, I've just been so fortunate each step along the way. When it came time that, okay, now I was going to go to a university and finish and get a journalism degree, um I wrote, because I had a typewriter available, I had a typewriter in the office of the bus depot where I was working. I wrote to 37 colleges and universities and asked for their catalogs. Only state colleges, I mean, state universities. And I, there was no, no private schools like Harvard or any of that on my, my horizons. And uh, I decided on the University of Missouri because it had a great journalism uh, uh, reputation and all that. And uh, I wrote a letter
0: and applied at the University of Missouri. Working in a bus depot uh, uh, while you were still in school, um, working nights, must have been a, a great place both to um, uh, produce an entire newspaper, um, but also to, uh, you know, a, a place where your thoughts are on, um, you know, literal places you can go. Absolutely
1: it was it was it was the a the best breeding ground I have ever had for it to be a writer. i mean i had i I was at behind a ke- ticket counter one night and uh some I heard a woman scream and the, it was a very small waiting room, and I went into the waiting room and it was into the, the it was a woman's restroom, a woman had slit her wrists. Um, one day a guy was at the ticket counter. And as he was, he said he wanted a one-way ticket to Houston. I made out the ticket, and just as I put the ticket on the on the on the counter, two guys, two cops came in and arrested him. This man had just robbed somebody and all this sort of stuff. Uh, one time they had uh, the border patrol was coming in and rounding up because uh, this is South Texas, so a lot of brown-skinned people around and uh, they were being rounded up as uh, as illegal emigrants uh, i had a guy I worked right next to as another ticket agent who was fill in for me and whatever and he he stole money from me i didn't know that by uh, by the way he uh, he sold tickets that 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 were he sold them but it looked like they were i was the agent and so he pocketed the money and then the auditors thought i had had stolen the money. And it was, I mean, I, mean, I, 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 I learned a lot about uh, about the, I also learned how to speak into a microphone. You want me to demonstrate <laughs> that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Please. All right. It was the first time I was paid money to speak into a microphone. This is, calling. this is Victoria, Texas, halfway between Houston and Corpus Christi. May I have your attention, please? This is your last call for Continental Trailways, eight ten p.m., Silversides, air-conditioned through liner to Houston. Now leaving from Lane 1... For Inez, Edna, Canedo, Louise, Al Campo, Pierce, Wharton, Hungerford, Kendleton, Beasley, Rosenberg, Richmond, Sugarland, Stafford, Missouri, City, and Houston. All aboard! Don't forget your baggage, please. Ten stars. That's Thank what
0: you. I award that Thank performance. You. Thank you. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Jim Lara, the anchor and executive editor of the PBS NewsHour and the author of 20 novels. His most recent is Super. Your first broadcast journalism job was at uh, uh, KERA in Dallas, That's if right. I'm not mistaken. That's right, public television station. Um, how did you end up in, uh, in public TV r- rather than c- commercial TV?
1: I was a, a newspaper reporter, newspaper editor. worked I was city editor of the afternoon newspaper in Dallas, Dallas Times-Herald. I'd written a novel. It was made into a movie. Uh, we made uh, uh, $45,000 on the movie, which was a lot of money. This is 1959. Uh, no, wait, no, oh, no, 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 no. This was 62. 1969, sorry, 1969. The book came out in 1966, the movie came out in 69. And my wife, Kate, uh, we, still had, we had two kids and the third one coming. And um, Kate said, well, you know, you always said you wanted to write full time. Let's do it. And she was a writer, too. And uh, so I quit to write full-time. And the public television station in Dallas, I'd only been on television one time. And that was kind of a local meet-the-press type thing. And they, they called me and asked me if I would be a consultant to them for news and public affairs. Work two days a week. They didn't do any programs, so I figured, you know, what the hell if I got to lose? <laughs> and uh, it was great. And then we one thing led to another, and we decided to try an experimental news program. Got a Ford Foundation grant. I wrote a proposal. And Fred Friendly, the famed Fred Friendly, who was in with the Ford Foundation, funded us. And uh, suddenly I was on television. And I hired nothing but newspa- former newspaper reporters and uh, did that for two, uh, two years. And, and then I was offered uh, an opportunity to go to PBS, to go to, uh, go to Washington. And I, I never worked in commercial television. Uh, I, I never, ever, lo- in fact, it, it, the University of Missouri School of Journalism to be on television, I mean, give me a break. I mean, that's not s- serious people don't go on television. Serious people write for newspapers and magazines. So I, I didn't take any courses. I had no longing to do it at all, no no desire to do it. But I had the opportunity, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, it was uh, – uh, I, I never turned back, and I have, as I say, I've never worked any other kind of television but public television, and I've been blessed to be with uh, – with people who shared all my values and all that, my aspirations has been terrific.
0: It must have been exciting to uh, get involved in public television at a time when public television was really figuring out what it was and what it could be. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: It was, uh, it was kind of created as a result of a, of a, uh, of a meeting you know there were some people who thought well no we've got this thing here it's called educational television now educational television was you know television from the classroom and there was television stations all over the country education because it'd been mandated by congress and then somebody said well let's let's do more than just that's ed- more than than classroom stuff well let's do things for children and sesame street got developed and they were they started doing documentaries and i came at the time i came in uh, uh, with with KERA and then the PBS, uh, PBS had just been formed, the Public Broadcasting Service, which is everybody calls it, a network. It's not a network at all. It's essentially a programming service. It's a cooperative. It's run by all the three or more than three hundred public television stations, and and it keeps reinventing itself all the time. It had it, the purposes uh, kind of remain the same, but uh, there's always been funding problems in public broadcasting. And you're always. You do have to tell me. Yeah, we're sitting yeah. in my second bedroom. Have you heard, have you heard that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it, you know the 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 interesting thing about it, about not having a lot of money to broadcast in a business that requires a lot of money to broadcast, is that you get your priorities straight. Whether you want to, you don't. You can't afford to waste any money on something. that Doesn't matter. And so you, if you say, well, we could we could do this little cute story about uh, you know. Uh, pineapple Sundays, or something like that Uh, or we could probably do something on the fall of the berlin wall maybe send somebody there for an extra day well we we do the berlin stuff because you can't do both so that really focuses your mind and and it it exists to this very day i mean uh, public broadcasting right now the news hour we've been on the air for 35 years we have financial problems but we are more vital, more viable, and more innovative now than we were before because we have to use our money so wisely. We use every little technology, technological thing. You know, you used to spend thousands, millions of dollars on satellite fees. Well, you can do that now through the Internet, but it's very difficult to do. And it takes time. You got to have you got to have people, most of them young, who know how to do use the technology technology to our advantage. And it keeps a little bit of hunger, is good for for people who are, are trying to uh, do serious business in
0: uh, in journalism. More with the news hours, Jim Lehrer After the break, it's the sound of young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Hey, friends, it's Jesse. You know, this year is the 10th anniversary of The Sound of Young America. Ten years. I can hardly believe it myself. We've been podcasting for more than five years now. We started at the end of 2004, if you can believe it. In all those years, we've never charged a penny for the content that we create. Once a year, though, we do ask that you give to support it. It's incredibly easy. Just go to maximumfundorg slash donate and click on the pledge level that you'd like to give. You can give $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month. At $100 a month, you become one of Jesse's Golden Eagles. At $200 a month, you're one of Jordan's Platinum Angels. Think about what entertainment you get and what entertainment you value. What things that you listen to or watch are really important? Do you pay for them? Do you watch commercials in your favorite television programs? Do you pay for cable? Did you buy the hardware that you use to watch or listen to your favorite stuff? Producing the Sound of Young America is far from free, and we pay for it thanks to your donations. Listen, even at our highest pledge levels, your monthly donation is relatively small. Twenty bucks a month is an amount of money that you will hardly notice as it disappears from your checking account every month. What you will notice is is a bunch of great podcasts in your ears every week. Be it the Sound of Young America or Jordan Jesse Go or Stop Podcasting Yourself or Coil and Sharp or the Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast or our blog entries or our videos or our Twitter feeds. All of this is supported by your donations. So if you think what we're doing is important, if you get something out of it, just visit MaximumFun.org donate right now. And follow this simple procedure to give us a little bit. Of course, you'll get something in return. We're always happy to send you thank you gifts. And at every pledge level, you'll get something. But what's important is that every time you listen to this show, you'll know that you're one of the people who's paying for it. Visit maximumfundorg donate. And to the hundreds of you who already give, my sincere and heartfelt thanks. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Super is Jim Lehrer's 20th novel. He's also, of course, the anchor and executive editor of the PBS NewsHour. When you were um, working with uh, Robert McNeil in the mid-70s, when what is now the NewsHour was just starting out, first it's a half hour, then it's an hour show, um, what did you decide, um, or, or what did he and you decide were the priorities, the things that you were going to put your limited resources towards?
1: Well, the key to it, and McNeil is the one who used the term, and, uh, and I, I, I agreed with him 100%. We've been very much in sync about it. And he said, we were going to be known for a place where you would, we would have civil discourse, it would be disagreements, but they would. People would not talk over each other. People would not not yell at each other. Not not on our air. They wouldn't. We would um, we would not do stories that uh, we didn't think mattered. Now, of course, that a nickel gets you four cents because what matters to you may not matter to me. May you know so. But we would we would define that as professionals, and uh, people who watched us over a period of time would get our definition of what mattered. It's like any news or any 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 program or any print medium. You essentially make a contract with your readers or your listeners, and uh, they get, after a while they get used to your judgments. And our judgments would be, in other words, we don't we don't do sports. We don't do weather. Occasionally we do a sports story, but we're not in the sports business. We're not in the weather business. Um, we 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 uh, we always try to have. At least a quarter of our programming, usually more than that, devoted to international affairs. McNeil, McNeil. When McNeil and I started working together, you know, he'd been an international correspondent, the foreign correspondent, all over. He'd been all over the world. I'd been to Nuevo Laredo, is what it boiled down to. And so he brought one perspective, I brought another. But uh, he and, was international. Was, yeah, he's yeah, international. Right. Yeah. He's Canadian,
0: isn't he? Oh yeah, he's Canadian. We talked about the the ways that. Um, resources shape priorities um in in public radio news there was always this joke and maybe it's a, a little less applicable today but uh it it was that since since there were very few reporters since uh, NPR maybe had a couple dozen reporters they would mostly um uh, read about something in the newspaper report it the next day and uh call it analysis mm mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it strikes me that, um, in a funny way, while NPR now say has a, a few hundred reporters rather than a few dozen reporters and, and hundreds more, if you count local stations, um, that perspective has been a, a strength of the form as, as those resources have grown rather than a weakness. That idea that, um, maybe timeliness isn't the only essential quality of news um and, and i wonder um and i wonder what ways you can distinguish your news content um that aren't just first and most the sort of 24-hour mm. cable news cycle the Onion had a the, the Onion had an amazing video piece uh, a month or two ago that was um, some some bull happening somewhere. It was a breaking news story. <laughs> it had a profanity in it. Yeah. yeah. Um. And it was just a, it was just a I don't it was video it was nonsensical video and they were covering it like it was important breaking news. So there's timeliness and then there's also this kind of intense opiniony stuff yeah, to differentiate yeah. yourself. But um, it, it seems like public broadcasting is is uniquely set up to compete and differentiate itself in in other areas besides those two.
1: Well, I, I agree with you. I think that um, uh, by the, the in this new world order that we're in now, if you want to know, did they arrest the suspect in the in the attempted bombing in at Times Square? There, you can find out in a second. All right, but but who was this guy? Well, what do you want to know about him? Was he part of a group? What group? Well, where did that group come from? And you just keep asking questions. Well, was the law enforcement thing right? Uh, what What about the, why, why did they, how did this guy get loose uh, to get on an airplane in the first place? And why was he going to Dubai? Well, where, where's Dubai? What is Dubai? In other words, every step along the way, there's got to be a place that you can continue to go. And public broadcasting, in my opinion, is the place that takes you through those various steps. And um, and you uh, the 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 we always got to keep in mind that um, the old way of doing things, which is the first thing you for, used to be the first time you heard about a story was when you read your newspaper. By the time you read your newspaper now, you know everything. You never you know what happened long before you ever see that newspaper so what's the point of the newspaper now is to go ask start peeling it back keep moving back moving back moving. movement one of the reasons newspapers are not doing very well because they haven't caught on to that they didn't they, they haven't hired the same they haven't they haven't trained their folks to move the story uh with where the where the curiosity is about the story and um uh, in public broadcasting, uh, the news hour, we tried very hard to do that, and uh, sometimes we sometimes we don't we fail. We do, it doesn't it doesn't work. We cannot we can no longer see ourselves as the first responder journalist. You've got to be that second and third. And you're talking you 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 put your finger on it. This is still a development stage for that, um, and you've got it's got to be compelling. I mean, you got to realize there are all kinds of places you can go second or third time second or third step after you find, well, I already know about they arrested the guy. All right, but now who do I want to go to to go take the next step? And you've got, it's, uh, you know, well, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't, maybe I don't, I'm not interested in the New York Times. Maybe, I'm, you know, we, but you've got to, it, it's got to all be there. And those of us who are who are, who are in this business have to uh, have to go with the new flow. And public broadcasting should be leading the way. Some ways we are, some ways we're not.
0: You know, a lot of people who work in who work in public broadcasting and a lot of journalists, and I think quite reasonably, um, think of what they do at least in part in terms of public service, um, in terms of doing something for others, um, using what you're good at to help other people, change the world in a positive way, inform people, all of those things. And I I wonder whether. You evaluated for yourself um what portion of your energy you wanted to put towards um that to put towards public service and what portion of your energy you wanted to put towards i guess what you might call private service mm-hmm. um you know your uh, responsibilities and contributions to your family say. And what you wanted to put towards, say, um, uh, just having a good time being into trains, for example. right.
1: Well, you know, that's a great question. I I didn't – I feel very strongly about public service. I also feel very strongly that the purpose of journalism is uh, crucial to the functioning of a democratic society. You don't have – I'll quote somebody named Thomas Jefferson who said, if you don't have an informed electorate, you don't have a democratic society. Where you get, How do you become an informed electorate? Well, the journalists are the people who do that. I feel very strongly about that. And, uh, I, and every day – and I've, I've been doing this for almost 50 years now, daily journalism. I never lose sight of what this is all about. This is not about me. This is not about my becoming a, quote, TV star – being recognized, some people get you know the idea you get recognized in a Seven Eleven store, and you never quite get over it, and you start waking up in the morning and saying, "Good morning, dear. This is your husband with the news," kind of stuff. I haven't ever been. I've never have bought into that because I know what my point is. The point of journalism, and uh, and and it, it sounds so. Um, uh, I don't know, uh, sanctimonious, uh, but so be it. I feel that very very strongly but I also feel very strongly that I uh I want to enjoy the things I want to, because and the health thing had something to do with that. I uh uh I don't I don't uh, I don't sing and dance but if I wanted to uh if it made me if it made me feel good I would do it. And I'll do a bus call with a speech or on a radio show if it makes me feel good it's fun to do I'll do it. And um, I love playing. We have six grandchildren. I love playing with these kids. I love playing catch with them and all, all that kind of stuff. And it has it. It, it is. A, it's a mixture. And I think the mixture is what has made me uh, uh, feel so fortunate. Me and has made, made me so so happy. I'm I am the happiest person and the most fortunate person you'll probably ever interview, Jesse. Because uh, I have all of these things. All of the above. The things you just asked me about. I have them. I have fun. I, collect, I am the number one collector of bus depot signs in America. I have 300 porcelain bus depot signs, you know, that hang in, you know, hung in the uh, little small towns. I have 400 bus driver's cab badges. I have 250 or 60 or whatever of, of uh, toy, antique toy buses in my I own a bus of my own. A bus. It's a 1946 flexible clipper that I completely restored and painted in the colors of my dad's bus company back in the 1940s. These are all toys. I mean, this is all play, This is all. You know, Bernard Malamud, the great writer, told me one time. Uh, uh, he he said, you know, the, the, if you want to write fiction, you better make sure that you never let your mind go above 16 years old, because it's the kids who make up the stories. And, it, and, and writing and making up, making up stories, writing fiction is making up stories. So I am, I am, while I'm doing serious business that I think is very, very important, I've moderated all these presidential debates, and I'm very excited. I'm very, I've got all the scars to prove it, and that's all, that is, that's God's work, and that is, that is public service, and I feel good about that. But I also uh, feel good about my little weird things and funny things that I do with my kids and grandkids and with my little bus signs.
0: It must be nice also to work um, in your in your day job towards um, truth a, as a journalist, and, and be able to in your uh, in your night job, you know, while you are <laughs> in between bus depot calls, yeah. uh, to be able to work towards uh, um, you know capital T truth in in writing fiction.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and there is a big difference. You know, there really is. I mean. The, you, you'll you never see that journalism is not about the truth journalism about the facts I mean I can say it's a fact uh, 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 Jimmy Charles Laira said today in uh, in Pasadena that uh, the weather was breezy and it was 85 degrees or Jimmy Charles Laira could say in Pasadena that it was snowing the fact is that Jimmy Charles Laira said it not that it's knowing, or you know, what is what is what's beyond that, all right? Uh, and and in fiction is where you go to the truth. In other words, you go beyond what is just a repertorial uh, uh, statement about uh, uh, about what happened. Uh, in fiction, you 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 get to why the human spirit uh, causes people to do certain things. What is depression? What is love? What is anger? Uh, what is peace of mind? Um, that's where you, you write about that in fiction. You don't write about that in uh,
0: in uh, in journalism. Well, um, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was great to have you on the show. I love talking to you, Jesse. Thank you so much. A, a sincere honor. Um, Jim Larry's new book is super, and it's, um, you know, we got started talking about really serious stuff, but it's really fun, really great, fun book. I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you again. Thank you. So, did you like the show? If you did, please donate to support it. $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month. Even become one of Jesse's Golden Eagles or Jordan's Platinum Angels at $100 a month or $200 a month. It'll be deducted automatically from your bank account. It's easy. You won't even notice that it's gone. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate right now. I know that your show just ended, so you're not up to anything. Visit MaximumFun.org slash donate right now. And of course, we'll thank you with some awesome thank you gifts, and there's all kinds of details about what you can get, including some exclusive t-shirts that you won't get anywhere else. But what's most important is the warm feeling that you'll get in your heart when you listen to one of our shows and you think, oh, I'm one of the people who paid for that. Donate online at maximumfund.org slash donate.